Well, let's pray together, and we'll open up God's Word. Lord, thank you for all these things that have been shared. Thank you for the love that's here, which is birthed in our hearts by your saving work through Jesus. And thank you that we have your word to look to now. Rock, solid foundation, perfect truth, your very words. We love you. We love your words. We love this book. And so, Lord, teach us today. Help me to be teaching in a way that's in accord with your word. And give us ears to hear what you are saying in these words. And do a powerful work in all of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you need a Bible, as we always like to say, uh, raise your hand if you don't have one. Because the Bible is so important. This is the most important words you're going to hear this morning are the words in Hebrews 12. My job is to unfold these and help you understand these words. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Hebrews 12 is on page 1009, so go ahead and turn there. So Jan and I are going to be taking off on a couple weeks vacation here, and this i uh, got some great preachers lined up from this body, which I'm very excited about. You've got that all in your bulletin. But this week we're going to be seeing my parents, and then seeing Jan's parents in, in northern Arizona. My parents are in southern California. And I'm looking forward to talking to my dad. My dad, for over 30 years, taught pastors how to study the Bible. That was his area of, of uh, as his profession. And uh, he always says that one of the most important steps you can take in studying the Bible isn't just to focus on individual verses, you know, piecemeal here and there, but one of the most important steps to study the Bible is to look at the author's train of thought that he's communicating through all the verses, to see the big picture, the context, where, where are all these verses going? And so I want to start off this morning giving you the author's train of thought leading up to today's passage in Hebrews chapter 12. So you've got the picture in your notes. It's going to be up here in a second. Boom, just like that. That was nice, nice. Okay, there it goes. So here's what's going on, starting in, back in chapter 11. The author gives this list of men and women from the Old Testament who lived by faith in God. They trusted God. They were forgiven by faith. They obeyed by faith. They suffered by faith. They overcame temptation by faith. They lived by faith. And as they were trusting God, God was faithful. He met them. He forgave them like he said he would. He strengthened them. He encouraged them so they could keep running the race towards the the reward of seeing him forever in Jesus Christ. So, Chapter 11, men and women who live by faith, displaying God's faithfulness to us. Flawless faithfulness. 100% track record of faithfulness. Never unfaithful, ever. Not even a smidgen of unfaithfulness in God. Flawless, perfect faithfulness. Chapter 11. And then, we come to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And there's a big, therefore. And the author says, therefore, because we have all these men and women who are saying, God is faithful, God is faithful. Trust him. You can trust him completely. So because we've got this cloud of witnesses witnessing to us of God's faithfulness, therefore we also, the author says, should run with endurance the race God has set before us. Laying aside extra weight, laying aside sin, setting our eyes on Jesus, and running the race towards heaven. That's verses 1 and 2. Then, in verses 3 through 11, he wants to make sure that we remember, it's like Marcia said about, we talked about this passage last week, remember, know 
that on this race there will be trials. There will be weighty trials. There will be painful trials. There will be difficult trials. It's not the case that the, that the closer you walk, you run the race God's laid out for you, the fewer trials you have. The Bible never teaches that. Some of the godliest people have some of the greatest trials. And so he wants to remind us about trials. And he encourages us to endure those trials by telling us, just like what Marcia was sharing earlier, that these involve the discipline of the Lord, which means it's his loving training to strengthen our faith, to refine our faith, so we'll have even more fullness of delight in God now and forever. Every trial that's come your way this past week has been a gift from God's loving hand of training to bring you even more joy in him. That's verses 3 through 11. And then that brings us to verses 12 through 17. And what's happening in this passage, as I studied this, what the author's doing is he's warning us about five dangers that we face on the race. Five dangers that everyone who sets out in the race of the Christian life, putting our eyes upon Jesus, laying aside sin, there's five dangers we will face. Let's just go through them verse by verse. Look at the dangers and then look at how we should avoid these dangers, how we should deal with these dangers. First danger. It's the danger of becoming discouraged by trials, so we stop running. Look at verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. So here's the picture, okay? You're, you're running along at a pretty good pace, right? Running the race with endurance, and then all of a sudden maybe you get laid off from your job and it can make your hands droop and your knees start to buckle. Or you're, you're running along at a pretty good pace and maybe you lose a loved one. It just breaks your heart. Your hands droop. Your knees start to buckle. So we're, we're running along at a pretty good pace and when trials come, it can discourage us. Our hands can drop. Our knees can weaken and we can stop running. But look at what he says in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your knees. Now, the most important word, or one of the most important words in that verse is the first word. It's the word, therefore. See, we don't just say, okay, I'm in a trial. Christians are supposed to lift up their hands and supposed to have strong knees, so somehow I'm just going to grit my teeth and do this. The therefore points back to the truths in verses 3 through 11. So the way that we obey verse 12 is by remembering verses 3 through 11, which says every trial we face is part of God's loving training for us. Every single trial we face, it's a gift from God's love. I mean, if you haven't thought about this before, this will really transform how you think about trials. The Bible is so counter-cultural in how it tells us to view trials. Every trial is a gift from God's loving hand, a gift of training which will strengthen your faith, draw you closer to him, refine your faith, so you have even more joy in God now and forever. So that's the therefore. So because every trial is loving training, okay, you're running along, your hands are drooping from a trial, your knees are buckling this trial, okay, wait a minute, this trial is loving training. It's coming to me from God's loving hand. He's going to strengthen my faith through this, draw me closer to him, more joy in him now and forever. He's going to give me all the grace I need to keep going. Okay, hands, come on up. Okay, knees, get strong. Here we go. Setting my eyes on Jesus, running the race. 
So the first danger he lists is the danger of becoming discouraged by trials so we slow down or even stop running. Some of you are there. Some of you have had a growing, I don't, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but just with the size of this group, I would guess some of you have had growing bitterness towards the Lord over the years, maybe even not noticing it, but it's grown and your race has slowed and maybe even stopped. So please, think about verses 3 through 11. Every trial is the loving training from God's wise, gracious hand for bringing you great good. So lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and keep running. Okay, that's the first danger. How to avoid it. Second danger. It's the danger of allowing obstacles to hinder our running. Back in chapter 12, same chapter, verse 1, remember he talked about, this is a few weeks ago, how while we're running, we can tend to um, put extra weight, we can tend to add extra weight on while we're running, and that can tire us out like, you know, innocent, like a, a hobby that seems an innocent thing, but it ends up taking all your time, you know, so you're just like bird watching all the time now or something, okay, and then your spiritual life kind of dries up, okay, <laughs> Bird watcher, sorry, but you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a bird watcher, or he also said entangling sin, we can let come upon us, and it'll tangle us up so we won't be able to run. That was verse one. Here in verse thirteen, he's talking about the same thing with a with a different picture, different metaphor. Look at what he says, verse thirteen, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. So this is the same truth as verse 1, but with a different picture. Here the picture is that we're running, God's, God's race path before us is straight, and choices we make, though, can mess up the straightness of that path. So it's like heading up into the swamp over here, trying to climb this tall mountain over here. God's path is like right there, but like we're all over here. And so like maybe, for example... Maybe you're, uh, you learn about a, a possible part-time business venture that you hear could be very, very profitable, and without praying about it and bringing it before the Lord and getting counsel from others in the body of Christ, you just take this thing on and it's ending up being a lot more time than you were told, and it's costing you a lot more money than you thought, and it's taking up all your extra energy, and it's totally stressing you out, and your spiritual life feels like it's shrinking. What's happened? The path was straight. But you've made it crooked by heading off on this direction which God didn't lead you to take. Understand how that can work? Uh, a relationship, getting into a relationship could be a, a, a making your path crooked. Areas of sin could be making your path crooked. So we have a straight path from God to run, but if we make wrong choices, the path could become crooked. Heading into deserts and going through swamps and climbing up tall mountains. And we're wondering, why is the Christian life so hard? God says, my path, I mean, it's hard, but my path is right here. That's, it's hard enough, this path. Don't make it harder by all these other things that you're doing. Okay, so straighten your path. You may need to step out of that business venture. You may need to stop that relationship. Definitely break off that area of sin. Now, why? Very interesting looking at the reason why. Verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. 
okay, what is it that's lame? Hmm. Some commentators I, I read said that what is lame is other believers who have become weakened on the race, who will be encouraged and strengthened when they see you back on the straight path. Well, there, there's truth to that, right? That's not it. It's not untrue, but I don't think that's what the author's talking about here. Here's why. In verses 12 and 13, the hands he's talking about are your hands. The knees he's talking about are your knees. The feet he's talking about are your feet. And so what is lame would most naturally be you, your body, your legs, right? You become lame because you're on this crooked path. You're like going through the swamps and, and your running has slowed down. It's kind of like you're, you're lame and you're running. You've been weakened by your, your running. And so the crooked path you are now on has weakened your running, so you're lame. And the author says if nothing changes, what's going to happen to your lameness? Your, 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 lame, your legs, which are now lame, are going to become disjointed. If that makes you say, ouch, that's exactly what he wants you to think. It wouldn't be pretty if you're running a race and you're, you know, you're going up over all these different crooked roads and you're kind of getting weak and all of a sudden your legs like get disjointed. Very serious. Disjointed legs don't run at all on the race. So deal with the crooked paths because the danger of continuing is that your legs will become disjointed. And the author wants us to say, ouch, I don't want that. Yes, you don't want that. But if we deal with the crooked path, he says, we'll be healed. This is beautiful. This is just beautiful. Again, I would guess that maybe some here in the group this size, uh, the straight path that God had laid out for you has become terribly crooked by, by poor choices. Terribly crooked. And you are feeling really lame. It's like, oh, man, this is why it's so hard, okay? And here's the beautiful thing is when, when you turn back to Jesus Christ and say, help me, help me get back on the, on the straight path path again. I'm going to turn away from this, turn away from that, get back on the straight path. He promises that as you do that and as you start running on the straight path again, what will happen to your lameness in the verse? It'll be healed. Right? Is that what your your version says? It'll be healed. So instead of being disjointed, your lameness will be healed. There is no one here who's so lame and who has messed up the path so much that Jesus won't help you straighten out your path and healing will come. So you've been, you've been lame, you're thinking, I'm going to get disjointed. No, wait a minute. Okay, Jesus, help me. Okay, the path is straight. And I'm just, wait, whoa, whoa. All right. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Okay, there's, remember, 11 verses 3 through 11, there's trials on the straight path. It's not that the trials are over there and the straight path is free from trials. No, there's trials there, there's trials here, but here Jesus is there. And he brings healing and he, and he lets you endure and lets you be strong. So don't let obstacles get in the way of your running. That's the second danger. Straighten out the path. Turn away from things that are, have become obstacles for you. And then run the race and you'll be healed. That's the second danger. Third danger. Well, this is really interesting. The, the danger of developing conflicts with others who are running. Notice what verse 14 says. Strive for peace with everyone. Now, it's possible that here he's talking about 
everyone, like believers, people who aren't yet believers, everyone. But because in verses 15 through 17, he's talking about others who are on the race with us. He's talking about believers. I think he's focusing here on believers. He's talking about striving for peace with those we are running with. See, the run, running this race with endurance, it's not a solo race. We're running this together, okay? Think about you and your family, your home group, okay? We're here, we're, we're running this race together. We're, we're on, on the race together. And, and sometimes people can jostle you, people can bump you, people could unintentionally or intentionally trip you. And when our hearts are set upon Jesus Christ, relying on his death on the cross to forgive all of our sins so we are assured of God's love for us and we're experiencing his all-satisfying presence as we're praying and seeking him in the word. Our hearts are full. When, when your heart is full, okay, you're full of the Lord and somebody bumps you, it's like, hey, chill, it's all right, you know, not a problem, okay? Or if somebody unintentionally trips you, it's, it's okay. You know, you're, or somebody intentionally trips you, it's like, dude, you shouldn't do that, but all right, I forgive you, okay? All right? You're at peace. But when your heart, when my heart, I know this from experience, when my heart turns away from Christ and starts to look to other things to fill me, I always end up empty. And when I'm empty, I'm kind of cranky. Okay? And when I'm cranky and somebody bumps me, it's like, hey, all right, come on, stop it. I don't care if it was an accident. Just get, watch what you're doing. And we're going to run over here. Okay? And so jealousies develop. Bitternesses develop, divisions develop. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Okay, is that okay? It's happened to all of us. So that's what he's talking about here. So we get this bitterness can come, and this distance can come, and this friction can come, and when that happens, it's dangerous and deadly. Let me give you an example as to the danger. Hudson Taylor, one of my heroes one of the first missionaries to inland China, late 1800s. He'd been in England praying about just the needs in inland China. People are dying without Christ, and God stirred his heart. So he, God used him to raise up 15 other missionaries. There were 16 missionaries, all fully funded, miraculously, and they were on a boat heading to China, which took months and months and months to get there, okay, back then. Because he was on this boat, and the, the missionaries are there, and they're loving each other. And they're sharing the scriptures together. They're encouraging each other. And the light of Christ is just shining. And on a fairly regular basis, on this boat, sailors were getting saved. Sailor got saved here. A couple days later, another sailor is coming and saying, what's going on? And so sailors are getting saved. Sailors are coming and asking. These amazing things are happening. Just this steady trickle of sailors interested in the gospel, hearing the gospel, getting saved. And then all of a sudden, it stopped. No sailors been like four or five days. No sailor got saved. A week and a half went by. No one was asking about the gospel. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks went by. Nobody, just all of a sudden, nobody was getting saved. Why? Here's what Hudson Taylor said. He says, little criticisms, little coldnesses, little jealousies had brought in disunity which led to serious results. Prayer was hindered. And to the grief of all concerned, the work of the Holy Spirit was so checked that for one whole month, no souls were saved. 
when there's divisions, when there's jealousies, when there's coldnesses, when there's bitternesses, the work of the Spirit gets quenched. So what do they do? They gather together, 16 missionaries. They confessed their bitternesses, their jealousies, their hurts. They confessed them to each other. They confessed them to the Lord. And God came. Love was restored. Unity was back. And within a few days, could you tell me about Jesus? Once again, what from the sailors? So is there anyone running the race with you that you're not at peace with? Any fellow brother, sister, family member, somebody in your home group, somebody in the church where there's tension, where there's misunderstanding, where there's hurt, there's pain. The author says, strive for peace with everyone. So please, make it right. Make it right with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your parents, with people in the, in the home group, with other brothers and sisters. Make it right. Go to them. Ask them to forgive you. Be restored in relationship with them. And the work of the Holy Spirit will be rekindled in your own heart. And the work of the Holy Spirit will be rekindled through you to others' hearts. That's the third danger. Fourth danger. This is very sobering, this one. It's forgetting why it's so important to keep running. Look at verse all of verse 14. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we're called to strive for holiness. Holiness, you can kind of boil it down to, holiness means desiring Jesus Christ more than anything else and for Christ's sake, loving others sacrificially. That's one way to kind of summarize holiness. It means desiring Jesus Christ more than anything else. And for Christ's sake, for his glory, because of his fullness, loving everyone around us sacrificially. Desiring Christ, loving others, that's holiness. And so we're to strive for holiness, strive to nurture, desire for Jesus Christ more than anything else, strive to, to nurture, for Christ's sake, love for other people, strive for holiness. Now why? why? Why must we strive for holiness? It's because he says if we don't have holiness, we won't see the Lord. You see that? It's a very sobering passage and maybe kind of shocking. That's why we must strive for holiness. If we don't have holiness, we won't see the Lord. Seeing the Lord is a reference to heaven, to being saved. And that would be infinitely tragic for a number of reasons. But one is seeing the Lord is what the universe is about. This is why you're here. He made you so that you could have the joys of seeing him, beholding him, loving him, knowing him, worshiping him. And he says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If we don't have holiness, we won't see the Lord. Now, that could be terribly misunderstood. Okay? Let me try to explain what it does and doesn't mean. We are not saved by being holy. 
If you're feeling guilty for your sin right now, thinking, oh man, I want to see the Lord. I want to be forgiven. So the way to be forgiven and to see God is I've got to start trying to be holy. So I'm going to be saved by being holy. Won't work. You can't. You won't. And you can never be holy enough to make up for the sin. Okay, so just banish that thought. You cannot be saved before God, forgiven by God, by being holy. You can't. The only way to be saved and forgiven by God is through trusting Jesus Christ, his death, which paid for your sins. The only way you can be forgiven is because Jesus paid for your sins, and the only way to access his death, which paid for your sins, is by faith alone. Just faith, genuine faith in Jesus Christ, and you're forgiven. Okay? Are we all clear on that? How do you get saved? By trying to be holier? (laughs) How do you get saved? By trying to be holier? No! The only way to be saved is by trusting Jesus Christ, looking to him, trusting him. Now, here's the question. Many people think you can have genuine faith in Christ and be completely unholy. That is impossible. That is impossible. Every one who has genuine faith in Jesus Christ is becoming more and more holy. Everyone. When you look to Jesus Christ by faith and you trust him, say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. You died on the cross for me. I trust you as my Lord. I want to surrender my life to you. Help me to do that. I trust you as my treasure. Come and satisfy me. Every human being who looks to the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, with faith, help me. I trust you. I believe. Help my unbelief. Doesn't need to be perfect faith, just faith, even weak faith. We look to Jesus change instantly happens and holiness starts. Immediately, holiness starts. No one has genuine faith in whom holiness hasn't started and is growing. You understand that? So you you cannot have saving faith in Jesus and live without holiness. It is impossible. So, if there's no holiness in us, then there's no genuine faith. And if there's no genuine faith, then we're not saved. And if we're not saved, then we won't see God. Which is why the author says, if there's no holiness, you won't see God. See how that worked? There's crucial in between steps. Let's do it again. If there's no holiness, then there's no genuine faith. And if there's no genuine faith, then you're not saved. And if you're not saved, then you won't be in heaven. And if you're not in heaven, then you won't see God. So if there's no holiness, then you won't see God for that reason. Now, don't think holiness is perfection here. Remember the thief on the cross? There, being crucified next to Jesus. And a moment's worth of faith in Jesus Christ instantly started transforming him. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, well, I mean, he had like 15 seconds. I mean, think about the terrible life. He was a robber and a murderer. And think of the terrible life he'd lived. Yes, but he was trusting Jesus, completely forgiven, genuine faith. That's why he was saved through Christ. And the evidence that faith was that there was a spark of holiness that's starting to kick in now. Okay, so don't think holiness has to be perfect. It doesn't, it won't be, but it needs to be growing, growing in holiness. Pursue after the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So pursue faith 
and by faith pursue holiness. And because you're pursuing it by faith, you'll be seeing the Lord. You'll be forgiven and with him. So don't forget why it's so important to keep running. I want you to see the Lord. I want to see the Lord. Do you want to see the Lord? Pursue after the holiness. By faith, pursue the holiness without which you will not see the Lord. Okay, one more danger. Ignoring those who turn aside from the race. So picture yourself running, brothers and sisters around you, we're running the race with endurance, we've laid aside our sin, we're running, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the race that God has set before us. What should we do if someone next to us slows down, or stops running, or moves off the racetrack and starts heading towards another race? What should we do? It's really easy at those times to say, well, that's between them and God. It's not my business. Who am I to judge? I'll just let Jesus take care of it. Something like that. Right? But that's not what the author says here. Start with verse 15. First half of verse 15. He says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So we want to be careful that no one slows down in the race. We want to be careful that nobody falls down while they're running the race. We want to be careful that no one's, you know, running towards another race. Because all of those could involve somebody who fails to obtain the grace of God. That's what that could mean. Do you, do you feel what's at stake here? And so we need to see, see to it, he says, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We've got to love each other. We've got to care about each other. We, we're, we're part of a body together. And so if someone is slowing down, if someone is running off in a different direction, we want to help them. We want to pray humbly, with care. Pride can kick in here big time, and you can start to think, well, I'm, I'm so spiritual, so I'm going to go fix them. And don't, don't, that's very dangerous, because pride, you might think you're running really fast, but when there's pride, you're like really slow. And you may even be stopping running entirely. So be humble. Be gracious, but see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Then second half of verse 15. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Root of bitterness. Notice it's in quotes, at least in the English Standard Version. It's in quotes because it's taken from the book of Deuteronomy. And it's a description of of someone who has bitterness in in their hearts. A bitterness towards God, towards others, it's not really defined, but there's an arrogance. If you read the passage in Deuteronomy, there's a cockiness, there's a presumption, thinking I've got it all together with God, and they really don't at all. And that bitterness can end up defiling other people. Not only are they in danger of not obtaining the grace of God, but others now can become defiled too. So for their sake... And for the sake of others, we need to love them. We need to go to them. And again, we don't, we don't go with accusations. We go, we, we, first of all, we pray. We pray earnestly. Probably the most important thing we can do is pray for this person. Lord, please help them. Bring your power. Free them. If, if, if I'm right that there looks like there's some bitterness, help them. So we pray. We go to them with humility. We don't make accusations. We say, you know, I, I could be wrong. And if I am, please forgive me. But I'm just wondering if maybe there's... Is there some bitterness in your heart? If I'm wrong, please forgive me, but but is there? 
and and if they say yeah there is and we encourage them point them towards Jesus point them towards the cross pray with them see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled and then verses 16 and 17 see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal Remember the story of Esau, really, really, really hungry, and wanting lunch was more important than the inheritance. And so he said, I'll trade the inheritance for lunch. got my lunch, and he, so he traded. He sold his birthright for a single meal. And that's an analogy of what's going on here. You know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. It's a picture of somebody turning from the race and running towards sexual immorality. Turning from the race and running towards some other willful sin. Known, willful, unconfessed, unrepented sin. You know, there's a difference between running the race and battling sin, right? God, help me. Forgive me. I'm fighting. Help me, Lord. And we stumble. And, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm back on. That's, that's, that's running on the race. What's not running on the race is, I'm just going to pursue this because, hey, I'm forgiven the cross. You know, I'm just, I'm going after this. This is going to be awesome. That's not running the race. That's willful sin. And that's what he's talking about here. And if someone turns from the race and pursues willful sin, that's serious. That, that could show that they've never been saved. So that could show. And if nothing changes, the warning the author gives here is that pursuing willful sin can so dull and deaden our hearts that we will never want to repent genuinely again. So it happened to Esau. Okay? We'll never want to repent genuinely again. So this is really, really serious. Now, again, we've got to be careful. Some churches can take this kind of teaching and make it into a culture of judgmentalism and kind of, you know, real strict, little nitpicky stuff, you know. It's totally wrong. We're talking about willful sin. I'm going to have an affair. I don't give a rip about my wife. Forget about it. I'm going after this woman. Okay? We're talking about big, obvious, ugly sin here. And it could happen to any of us. And when it does, we need to go after the brother, after the sister with love, with tears, with humility. We are not free from sin. Oh, please, listen. What are you doing? I love you. I care about you. Eternity is at stake if you keep on this road. This could cost eternity for you. Please wake up. Another day pursuing this, your heart can become so hard you will never turn back. Please, please, look at who Jesus is. Look at the cross. Look at his love for you. Remember, remember the times of worship where you were so filled with God? Remember? Or if you never, if you never experienced those, that's what we're talking about here, knowing the living God. So we, we plead, we weep, we appeal, we encourage. You can be forgiven. He'll set you free. He'll give you power. Come back. Let's get back on the race. So don't ignore those who turn aside from the race. Let's love each other. I mean, just look, look, look at the people around you. Okay, These are the races we're talking about. Racers. These are the racers, our fellow racers. Okay, Here we are. We're all fellow racers. Mercy Hill Church, let's love each other. Let's love each other. Not just in kind of shallow, frivolous ways, but I mean, if you see me stumbling, man, come talk to me. Women, I guess maybe two, I don't know, whatever, but... 
We've got to talk to each other. If we see each other stumbling, if we see difficulties happening, let's love each other. Let's love each other humbly, realizing we could be mistaken. Okay? But let's love each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's not let anyone slow down. Let's not let anyone stop. Let's not let anyone head off to a different race. Here's the five dangers. Now, what what questions have these five rangers five dangers stirred up? What questions have they stirred up? So go ahead and raise your hand. I always like to do this because you, you always ask helpful questions. It's like, oh, that's really important to clear that one up. Thank you. So any questions? Chris, here comes the mic. Do I have the reference to Deuteronomy? It's, it's the root of bitterness. You know, my eyes aren't good enough to see my cross-references right here. So does anybody else have it in the ESV? Deuteronomy 29.18. Good. Okay, Deuteronomy 29.18. That's a really good question. It's not, and I've struggled with this. This is a very uh, puzzling passage uh, at one level. It's not that he said, oh God, I'm sorry. I I, want to know you. I'm back with you now. I mean this. You are my prize. You're my treasure. Please forgive me. That's not what he was doing. He wanted the blessing. God wasn't in the equation. He just wanted the blessing. So I could see somebody saying, Oh God, I, I don't want hell. I don't want judgment. I just want to, you know, have a happy afterlife. So just forgive me. Where their heart really isn't for God. So their heart, his heart, and people's hearts can become so hardened towards God. They'd be glad to miss hell. They'd much rather go to heaven, but no interest in God. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Sin kills your heart for God. He's our treasure. God and Jesus Christ. So does that help, Kathy? Big difference, really important to see that. No one ever would say, Jesus, forgive me, save me. I mean this. I want you more than anything. And God says, too late. That'll never happen to anybody. Well, once he comes back, judgment comes and it's over at that point in time. But in this life, anybody who genuinely is asking Jesus to forgive them and change their heart, he's running towards them with love. Okay? But sin can make you so hard that you never do that. You'll never do that. Yes. So, maybe taking it a different way, okay? So, pursue after the holiness, without which, if you don't have holiness, other people looking at you won't see the Lord. Okay, that's, that's, that's plausible, it's possible, it's true, but a helpful tool in biblical interpretation, my dad would say, uh, is that the interpretation that where you have to add the least number of words, that is the simplest interpretation, is what the author most likely intended to say. And the most natural way, I think, to take that passage is pursue after the holiness without which you won't see the Lord. I think that's the most natural interpretation of that. But that's, that's, that's I mean, we like to have different, you know, different possibilities raised here. We're open. It's good to discuss. Good to hammer these things out. So, thank you. I mean, sin's always got levels, a level of danger to it. Um, so I would just say, seek the Lord. Say, what, what, here's this brother, which help me, give me wisdom. How can I go to him? But we, we need to go. I mean, we're commanded to here. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. This is a command given not just to pastors. This is given to you, right? So we've got to obey the Lord. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, could, I could broaden out the definition to say, 
to include it to include Jesus is that holiness means desiring God more than anything else in Christ. And Jesus does desire the Father more than anything else, and he loves others for the sake of the Father's glory. So that's how I would how I would include it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, we got, oh, we're over time. We've got to stop. Okay, so, so here's, we've looked at these five uh, dangers. We've talked about running the race. So, church, I want to just think about this. Every day, the finish line is nearer. Okay? Every day, the finish line is nearer. Every day, the reward of seeing God gets closer. Every day. So let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And let's encourage each other to keep running as well. Let's pray. Let your word deeply impact our hearts now, Father, I pray. By your Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us which of these dangers we are the most susceptible to. Help us to see your grace and your power which can change and free and encourage and help us. And Lord, help us to take heed not to fall into any of these dangers, I pray. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you that when we turn back, healing will come no matter how lame sin has made us. Healing will always come when we turn back from the heart because of your great grace and mercy to us through Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.